Double time. Everybody. How much caffeine have you had, Scott? Dude, I'm, man, I've <laughs> not enough. I'm trying. I am putting effort into being very trying. <laughs> God damn it. You walked into that one. Damn it, Fort Max. Superhero Time presents that one episode of Star Trek with Chris. A code of honor protects one captain like a magic cloak. Hey, Mickey. I heard you breathe fire. I have eyes as black as coal. Scott. It's not like he was like, ooba dooba, I love fried chicken or anything. I mean. And Fort Max. Husky. This week on that one episode of Star Trek, we're doing some Deep Space Nine. And it's episode so XV picked, so... XV so gets to do, do the uh, summary. Aw, me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, first of all, I mean, just fair, fair dinkum. Uh, I found this episode extremely boring and weird. I wasn't too thrilled with it either. There there was one point I was like, oh, this is going to get good. And then it then it was resolved. And then it then it then it didn't get good. <laughs> it was a Cisco part, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was like oh, 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 and then nothing happened. It was like being touched in the morning and then walked away. It was terrible. All right, so we're doing uh, season seven, episode fifteen. Bada bing, bada bang, which is everyone's bada favorite. Bada bing. <laughs> this is a holodeck episode. All right. So. There are zero stakes. Uh, nothing fucking matters. This is all just a big fucking lark. Uh, it's basically an although, episode of Whose Line. Yeah, O'Brien suffers, though, so that's good. Yes, this does have a good O'Brien moment toward the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, I have screenshots. <laughs> are these from your personal collection, or did you make these when you watched the episode the other night? Oh, these are from the uh, you know deleted director's cut. Oh, okay. Hey, so, refresh me. Did Vic Fontaine come into existence after the Doctor on Voyager? Yes. Okay. He was an invention of, like, season six, I want to say, which had to have taken place after Voyager started, because Voyager started in 95, where Deep Space Nine would have only been going into its third season that year. This is just one of those episodes I wonder, like, how... How anyone thought this was a good idea, and what the actors thought? Are the actors thinking, "Oh, this is a nice vacation. We get to dress up in different things and not do our normal shit." This what is this like... is is this is a season seven episode, which is where they've, they're running out of ideas. This is a let's do. We're running out of ideas, and they needed to uh, have something to uh, change things up. And we need to make break it more up the heaviness of the Dominion War. And also, yeah, one last goofy thing before they started uh, filming the finale. Yeah. Okay, so because this was the last episode shot before they did the finale. Although there was one oh. more broadcast before the finale arc started. Right, but yeah, no, this is saying, the last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this is the right. tension breaker. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, no kidding. This is definitely a fucking. This is the tension breaker before they start grinding your balls. Oh, oh, oh my! <laughs> Not well. in a good way, like with the literal oh. grindstone. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. guy in a black hood and everything. It's very, very Spanish Inquisition. What clubs are you going to? <laughs> yeah, really. It's very Spanish Inquisition. Got... 
<laughs> this club, you'll never expect it. Um. <laughs> Someone kick him. <laughs> no, I'm going to allow that because that was an unexpected Python reference. Yay! That actually showed some thought rather than just quoting someone else's funny words. <laughs> uh, Monty yeah, Python I mean, I, reference yeah, the Star Trek podcast. Yeah, I said Spanish Inquisition outright, and I'm proud nobody actually jumped on that. There's well, nothing less funny than quoting Monty Python. Well, especially that line, because that's the line everybody quotes. Yeah, even people who aren't Monty Python people, right. It's just like spam oh. will never be funny again because Monty Python used up all the humor in the word spam in 1970-whatever that was. Yeah, but they did it on purpose, though, so that makes well, them yes. the winners. Yeah, they, they won at spam, basically. All right, well, let's get this shit show started. All right, everyone get your NyQuil and your nappies on. Let's do this. I do, but not because of this. I always have my NyQuil on. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> All right, so the, it just cold opens right up, and we're just like in a 1960s lounge. Okay, okay. another thing. 60s? Yeah, 60s, bitch. That's right. Yeah, it's the 60s. Yeah. Because they, they actually give a specific year later on. That's the only reason I know uh. that. <laughs> if you were to watch the episode, I guess you would know that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Savage. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Formax is going to kill me at best. <laughs> I love you, Formax. It's always the quiet ones. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's the one that's like, well, there's the neighbor that kept to herself. That's what always happens. <laughs> Look, Scott, you'll be fine. Just never travel to Texas. I don't intend to. That's good advice. <laughs> yeah, just generally. All right, anyway... So open up, and it's uh, in Vic Fontaine's lounge uh, on the in a hollow suite. Uh, now I will say Vic Fontaine looks like he should be hosting some daily game show. Agreed. Yes. But like what I, he looks what like he be hosting. He, I don't know, but he looks like the unholy fusion of uh, <laughs> <laughs> of Alex Trebek and uh, Pat Sajak. Yeah, yeah, Pat Sajak. There's, yeah, a, there's, that a, is... there's a little Richard Dawson in there too. Yes, there is. So basically, Vic Fontaine was was one of the first uh, iterations of a con. <laughs> he was the mix of like all these TV personalities put into <laughs> one person. <laughs> he was an augment before they there were augments. All right. So anyway, so we got O'Brien and we got Doctor Bashir sitting there at the table, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna go do the Texas Alamo simulation. Do you want to come with us? You know, because a massacre. It'll be a blast. Yeah, um, we're gonna get so killed. <laughs> we're gonna kill some engines." No, Mexicans. It was versus the Mexicans. Did you so, forget? So clearly, <laughs> clearly what we've established is Scott does not remember the Alamo. No. The Fonz would be so disappointed in you. That is one of the few ways I am unlike Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee Herman did remember the Alamo. Anyway, the whole thing I'm getting out of this scene is that Bashir and O'Brien <laughs> don't know how to socialize with any real people. Well, okay. Clearly, what they don't know how to socialize with any holographic people either. <laughs> oh my god, they're ho holophobic. Oh my god. I'm getting that uh, Bashir no, and are they? Are they? They, they are. They exact. They don't know how to uh, socialize with anyone, whether they're flesh and blood, robot, or hologram. They. Well, they don't. They. They just are. The only people they know how to socialize with are each other. And they barely uh, know how to do that because, like, their whole social life together is just, like, doing shit in the Holosuite. 
Well, I was going to say that O'Brien doesn't know how to deal with other real people either because Bashir's an augment. He's not a real person. <laughs> All right. So they have this little cutesy conversation like, hey, let's go do the Alamo thing. And he's like, nah. And Vic's like, I don't look good in buckskin. Uh, I think I'll just hang out in my lounge and sing because that's kind of what I'm here to do. So, But I will sing you a song about the Alamo. Check this shit out. <laughs> and then he's just starts lounge singing the song about the Alamo. Moderate jazz bass intro is the is way it's subtitled on Netflix. Moderate jazz. <laughs> What's your name? And tell me you like moderate jazz. Yes. Well, I like it moderately. It's okay. As opposed to radical jazz. Yeah, radical jazz, which involves like LSD and chainsaws. <laughs> You know, I'd listen to some chainsaw jazz. Radical jazz is dead on a BMX bike while doing flips. <laughs> All right, so Vic is up there. He's up there for like two seconds thinking about the Alamo, and suddenly there's a glitch in the Matrix, and the whole thing turns all dark and smoky, and there's all these loud yelling people, and they're all yelling at him to get off the stage. But it's you know, like a fucking And then power sluts storm the stage. Yes! But you know, Vic's a professional, and the show must go on, so he just keeps singing. Well, for a little while anyway, until the men start hooting at him, and he's like, wait, me? Me? And people start pointing behind him. No, 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 no. Cyber sluts in the back. <laughs> they're like they're like uh, the girls from the uh, Addicted to Love video, but not nearly as sexy. They're the girls from the chorus. They hope you like their show. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so Vic just looks around very confused, like, what the fuck is going on? Which does make sense, because even uh, Brian and Bashir are like, what, what happened in... So they eventually boo Vic off the stage. And Vic is... knows his hologram. Yeah, yeah. He knows that it. people aren't supposed to suddenly appear that aren't uh, members of the uh, Deep Space Nine uh, crew. Right, right. The senior now, staff specifically. Now, keep in mind what kind of hellish existence this entity lives in. <laughs> because remember in TNG where there was the Royale or something and these aliens created that like casino hotel for like that astronaut who got lost. Well, there's a difference and... there, Scott. There's a difference because that astronaut was a real human who had life experiences outside of, uh, you know, a looping casino scenario for, you know, 40, 50 years. Whereas mm -hmm. this is a thing which I would say at best is arguably self-aware, but is completely locked into this existence. It's, you know, this is a completely natural state of being and probably anything else would be a hellish nightmare except for what he's designed for. Yeah, I think they've established in previous Vic Fontaine episodes is that he's happy being here on all the time. That's okay. what he prefers. That was okay. um that was a subplot ish of the um it's only a paper moon episode that we're gonna do at yeah. some point in the near future. When we want to be sad. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So all right, well, I, I'll accept that, because I have to admit, I, I actually I know a lot less about DS9 than I thought I did. No, uh, see, if you want to uh, compare this to a hellish existence, go talk to Moriarty. Uh, yeah, no shit. <laughs> well, at least he thinks he's free, though. I mean, well, he can't right, up to that difference. point, Up to that point, he was, like, conscious from time to time in the circuits of the Enterprise's memory right. system. That's, right. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying Moriarty yeah. is a much more comparable situation to Vic Fontaine. Whereas, the Vic, Fon is Whereas Vic Fontaine has, like, what, free reign of the ship's systems for the most part? Well, of the station's systems for the most part? Free reign of the Holosuite. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you but know. he, you know, he has physical embodiment all the time that he's. I will, you know, use quote unquote conscious here just because I'm, I'm not sure if Vic's to the same point as the Doctor or Moriarty where he's really a self aware being. I, I agree with that. I think he's a convincing illusion of being a, a ascension being. Yeah, I think he's supposed to just be like a really sophisticated program that can interact with the visitors as if he was a real person without actually yeah. being self aware. Because I would imagine you could just program a character in a holosuite to know about Star Trek, Starfleet, and holograms and all that kind of stuff and make them act self-aware. I mean, that wouldn't be difficult. I mean, if you're odd enough if-then statements, you can fake it. <laughs> Welcome to programming, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you just summed up my career. <laughs> just your really complex Markov chain. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. All right. So, I was in a Markov uh, chain once. It's gross. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I told you not to hang out with those Russian thugs anymore, no matter how tight their asses are. <laughs> I know they'd spend all the time squatting and smoking, but don't do not do that. But look at their well, hair. Well, yeah, those little Russian dances build up your quadriceps. <laughs> you got rippling thighs. Rippling. All right, so uh, out of the crowd comes some bald-headed loser, uh, to which Vic Fontaine recognizes Frankie Eyes. What are you doing in Vegas? So... And then there's that character actor behind him, the big guy who always, always, always plays like a mafioso mob guy. Is that a character actor or just typecast? Well, what's the difference when you've been doing it for fucking 30 years? <laughs> he's played the same character and everything he's ever been in for 30 years. So typecast. I guess so. But it was kind of like, oh, it's that guy. You know, it's one of those actors you've seen. And you're like, oh, I know him. Well, like, I don't to me, know, the difference between being typecast and being a character actor is like... Robert Stack, you hire to be on screen and be Robert Stack. Right. Whereas typecast is, you're hired to be this one kind of role, not, you know, you as this person. Okay, that, that's a fair point. So, yeah, yeah. Fine, XV is right again. What I'm saying is being typecast, down. being typecast means that you're in a terrible state in your career. Being a character actor means you're in the best state in your career because you don't even have to act. Oh, so I'm typecast then. Ugh. Yes. You're also podcast, which is even worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, so Frankie Eyes, he's a mobster from back east. Back wait, in wait, wait. Before South... you go on, I just thought of one thing. Do you think there's a podcast for like fonts and typefaces called the Typecast? I'm sure there is. Okay, you may continue. <laughs> Great. Now everyone's going to stop listening to this one and go listen to the one you just mentioned. Good job. I would not blame them. It would, <laughs> <laughs> it would be more interesting, yes. Uh, God, I wonder what they have to say about kerning. <laughs> kerning is very important. All right, you go with that other podcast then. <laughs> I just want to break right. down for a second about how much Times New Roman is the worst. Yeah, well, okay, that's fine. <laughs> just like how they can never do those certain episodes, how we can't do certain episodes of Voyager, they can never talk about Comic Sans. It's just too easy. <laughs> All right. Wingdings! April Fool's episode. Stop! See what you got me doing? <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> so, so Frankie Eyes is like, oh, uh, so he's from South or West Philadelphia, born and raised, just like Vic Fontaine. Uh, and they're apparently old rivals. Uh, oh, and, man, what if uh, they had cast Will Smith to be Vic Fontaine? That's what I want to know. It's ridiculous <laughs> that they didn't. I'm a little offended that they didn't. Post-racial society. Welcome to Bajor. Punch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, 
he, he shows up and goes, oh, I, uh, I just bought the, uh, the whole hotel, so now I'm your boss. Now you're fired. Get out of here, you joik. So he just, and he blackballed him from every other casino in, in quote, town in Vegas. Uh, yeah. So that's why everything suddenly changed. So uh, O'Brien and right, they try to, like, freeze the program. That doesn't seem to work. Uh, okay, oh, well, oh, well, first, the first they tried to delete the character, remove those new characters. <laughs> right. That didn't work. All right, let me, I'll get credits. Everyone fucking 10 minutes for credits. Yeah, I like how uh, the dramatic sting is that they're caught in the holodeck again. Except they're not right. even. Cause this is but the I do one know, but that's why they sting it right there, though. It was like, oh, shit. Right, but this is the one holodeck episode where there's a malfunction and no one's life is in jeopardy. And this isn't even a malfunction. Exactly, right. It's performing as intended. Yep. <laughs> it's not a bug, it's a feature. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, that is. is literally what's going on. Yeah, I do like it, like, oh, there's something weird going on the holodeck. And I like how Bashir and O'Brien are both like, meh. <laughs> if, I a, if I had a strip of gold press, Latin for every time this happens. Yeah, you know, O'Brien should at least be more concerned about this, because he lived on the Enterprise. Yeah. You yeah, you would think that he'd be more freaked out by Vic, but whatever. No, not well, no, not freaked out by Vic, freaked out by the holodeck not responding to commands cuz again, he's lived on the Enterprise. Compared to the shit O'Brien's gone through, this is small potatoes. Ha, and he eats potatoes. small potatoes for breakfast. <laughs> you eat Ash. shit for breakfast. <laughs> also, it... small potatoes is what his wife calls him. Oh. oh. <laughs> Wow. Little potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very old reference, eh, Nikki? I know. Ooh, little potatoes. Yeah. Um, which I got. Uh, so O'Brien is kind of like, look, well, we can solve this. We'll just have to, like, wipe the holometrics and start over again, but that'll destroy Vic's memory. And Vic very rightly goes, whoa, 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 no. No. And she's like, oh, we would never do that to you. Unless we have to. <laughs> yeah, as we just feel like it, or we forget not to. All right, so they're going to try to figure out what the hell's going on. Uh, and they tell Vic, just kind of stay out of the way. Go find but... a box to crawl into and hide. Right. All right, so we come back up to Ops, or up to Ops, because that's the first time this episode. Uh, Nog is, is, is waddling around, his adorable little fringy feet. Well, well, I mean, only one of them. The other ones are an artificial leg at this point. Yeah, so apparently, like, last episode or a couple episodes ago, he lost his leg and it really bummed him out. He lost his leg fairly earlier in the season, and more recently he worked through that with Vic. That's the plot of It's Only a Paper Moon, which we're going to talk about another time. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad we're doing this out of order. Very. I thought he, like, they grew a new one or something? Yeah, it's it's a bio-identical replacement. Yeah, it's a fake leg. (laughs) Okay. All right, so they're going off, and they're like, oh, yay, Vic is great, and he helped me with my leg, and, and everyone's like, oh, Worf, you don't like him? And again, Worf gets to be the dick. He's like, as, he's a, he's a, as a singer, he's okay, but meh. He's not a person. Yeah, he's not real, so I don't give a shit. I mean, I can't kill him, so what does it matter? <laughs> All right, so... Uh, Bashir comes up uh, to Ops and is explaining to everybody, okay, well, I figured out what's going on. Uh, apparently, it's a jack-in-the-box, which is like a Ooh, secret tacos. little thing that triggers later in a program to keep things exciting. Uh, and whoever wrote the program... Felix. Uh, who? Felix. 
Felix. Who are the fuck Felix is? The cat. Bashir's friend who wrote the James Bond program. Uh, oh, that guy's trying to kill Bashir. We know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of obvious at this point, right? <laughs> All right, so basically he put that in the program just to keep things interesting. Just some random point, uh, this rival will just show up and buy the casino and and make things interesting. And the reason why they couldn't uh, stop or delete the... Well, stop uh, the program or delete the characters is they were in a non-skippable cutscene. Yeah. Yeah, the Hall Suite's been put in adventure mode. You can't actually, like, you know, fiddle with it anymore. You just have to kind of go with what's written. Yeah. It's been compiled already. You can't go into So I like that this was a planned event, but rather than occurring, you know, naturally within the context of the program, it happens like the flick of a light switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they make a point that uh, everything is kind of locked in the program as well, which means that they're going to do anything in the program that use stuff from the program that's period specific. So real guns, no phasers, no tricorders. So they got to be in the program doing it as written, if they're going to do anything in there. You can't plot your device out of this hole. Just watch me. <laughs> I can I can plot device out of any hole. In, and into some of them. Alright, so <laughs> at this point, Daddy shows up. <laughs> What's all my little children's talking about? Scott, no. <laughs> no. What? Like She's like Chef from, from South Park. Oh, I thought you were doing an Uncle Phil. <laughs> no, he actually just. Ooh, imagine Uncle Phil in a Starfleet uniform. James Avery is hey. Captain Cisco. Uh, I would watch that show. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Even more so now that he's dead. <laughs> that put a really interesting spin on it. <laughs> Weekend at DS9. <laughs> so we have these force fields that make him look like he's moving. Yeah, you know, oh, Weekend at Bernie's would be a whole lot easier to pull off in the 24th century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so I like sh- that Cisco asked what's going on, but here says Thick Fontaine's been bought by gun- gangsters. <laughs> I see. When do you plan on going back to work? <laughs> <laughs> he does this walking past them without even pausing. He goes right to the turbo lift and then disappears. <laughs> and then That's every- fascinating. Drop it. I, have I mentioned how much I love the uh, ops turbo lift here? Yeah. <laughs> It's a dramatic exit. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of super villainy, but it is a Cardassian station, so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, all right. So there's some, I, I got to say, there's some weird ass ships around DS9. So we have the Defiant Dot. We got an Excelsior class. Uh, and then in the background, we have, what, what the fuck is that? What is uh, that in the back? Where, how far in are you? Let's see. Oh, I got, well, six inches, about as far as I can go. So uh, I got th- It's a very yes. shallow vagina. Oh, okay. So that, yeah. Okay, so there's an Excelsior on the upper arm, the Defiant uh-huh. on the ring, and then... It's in the background. It, look, it almost looks like, like a... an Intrepid, but the one engine's too low. Yeah, it's got like this, this warp dong hanging down. I mean, that, it that, could wait, just... It could be is just that a, a Galaxy class with the, the, the deflector dish facing us? And the nacelles blocked by the saucer? Maybe. Well, you can see two nacelles, back. though. There's two blue lights. There are two lights. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm pretty sure that's an intrepid body, and for some reason the one engine cell is low, because the front end and the slope down to the secondary hull looks really intrepid. 
by which I mean intrepid class, not, you know, the adjective intrepid. What's an adjective? So typecast is the other podcast. Stop. (laughs) Yeah, that's a weird looking ship. Anyway, all right. I just want to point out we are uh, eight minutes into the episode now, uh, (laughs) 23 minutes into the podcast. (laughs) You guys are great at this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are. All right, so we get into uh, Cisco's quarters. He's having uh, dinner with his girlfriend, Cassidy. She has oh, a name, right. Cassidy Yates. <laughs> Not that's a pussy. Right. She's a woman. She doesn't really deserve a name. Um, Fort Max rebuttal. <laughs> I'm glaring at Cal in the general direction of California right now. <laughs> I do that all the time, though. That doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> all right, so. <clears throat> He's having dinner with Cassidy, and she's like, and he's like, oh, so what's going on? He's like, oh, there's this thing happening. He's like, well, what? And he's like, oh, these gangsters took over Vic's lounge. And he's like, God Son of a bitch! (laughs) Why does everyone keep talking about this retarded shit? And she's like, what? And he's like, oh, nothing. Nice traitor. So Cisco, for some reason, is really pissy about all whole stuff. And Cassie tries to explain to him, like, look, Vic is sentient. He's like a real person, and he's a friend of a lot of people on the station. He's actually helped out Nog, and he's a cool guy, and he's, you know, self-aware. So he's a person. So what's the deal? How come you never go there? And then she's like, it's a mystery. <laughs> yeah, and he gets all, like, shifty about it, which is weird. He's like, I'm not going to tell you. It's like, well... Well, why not? It's like, well, I just gave you my answer. So shut up. He's like, geez, okay. He gets a little snarky. So Cassie narrows her eyes like, you know, sometimes I really don't understand you. Well, maybe that's part of the attraction. No, Just no, keep pretty... telling yourself that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just pretty much you being a dick. <laughs> All right. Well, the reason so... why I consider leaving you every week. <laughs> yeah, look, I can disappear in like multiple times the speed of light and you'll never see me again why do you think i spend three months at a time on a freighter <laughs> yeah, away from you mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what's not mysterious a warp core <laughs> now warp cores are totally mysterious they're like microwaves nobody really understands how they work yeah they can turn into cameras it's just a snap of a finger all right so cut back into uh, ostensibly the holodeck uh oh, smiles and you host thank you god damn it <laughs> Is Miles and Julian, and uh, they're knocking on Vic's door, who's in room 107. Uh, yes, that was very important. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, well, it's like it's right in the middle of the shot. Mariposa so, is Spanish for 107. I will slap you! <laughs> right. right in the taint. That doesn't appear to be right. relevant, hey, Mickey. So, oh. <laughs> Vic opens the door, and he's all beat to shit. And, uh, he so got roughed up by the goons. Yeah, so Doctor's examining him and everything. It's very cute. He's got a few bruised ribs and everything. And then, of course, Vic does the macho thing. Like, oh, you know, it's no big deal. I I slipped in the shower and knocked over all my stuff trying to look for a Band-Aid. You know, trying to be all masculine, I guess. I ran through the door and bounced off across the living room. (laughs) Yeah, the friction uh, uh, coefficients in the program need to be tweaked. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Grand Theft Auto 5 and you turn off friction. All right, so they're. I like how Julian's just smiling at him. He's like, "This is fun." <laughs> oh, Vic is sitting there, like, beat the crap out of and suffering. So he goes in the exposition of like, "Oh yeah, so uh, Johnny Two Shoes, whatever the fuck his name is, is uh, they're from the old neighborhood in West Philadelphia, 
And uh, I went over this already. Yeah. Well, I, I did it, but I did it too early. I jumped the gun. I prematurely expositioned. And uh, he's, and he's still mad that I was always beating him at uh, soccer. Stickball. Fort Max, why do you keep beating Scott at soccer? Because he sucks. <laughs> In fairness, I do suck at soccer. I will. Uh, I'll. Uh, Who doesn't? Right Even soccer players suck at soccer because you're playing soccer. Yeah, it's a three-hour game. What's the score? Zero to zero. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> what a great game. Yeah, here's here's a little life tip for you. If the game you play for most of an afternoon takes all that time and you can't score once, maybe tweak the rules a little bit. Also, if you've been watching Star Trek for 30 years and you can't score once, maybe you should do something different. <laughs> uh, Star Trek nerds being virgins joke. All right. Anyway. Crickets. So we cut back down to the bar. Uh, Crick, I think cricket's an even worse game than soccer. <laughs> Keep formats. You gotta know what a crumpet is to understand cricket. Uh, and right. no one knows what a crumpet is. <laughs> it's got nooks and crannies. Alright, so we cut down back down to the casino, to the show floor, <clears throat> to the lounge, I guess. Uh, there's all the little sluts walking around in their little uniform serving drinks. Where's Elizabeth Banks? Uh... Not on my lap, which is a shame. <laughs> so Odo and Kira come strolling in. Odo looking dapper in his suit, and Kira, they're looking pretty good, can I say? And they're all like huggy and lovey dovey. So I guess they're an item at this point. Spoilers. Is it? Because I like knew they were like they had a thing. I didn't know if it was like short term. No. Hmm. All right. So they figure out they have a job. So basically, all of the senior staff on DS9 is in on this fucking thing trying to save Vic. So Odo uses his criminal wiles, walks up to Cheech, uh, who's telling this great story about how he accidentally whacked the wrong guy. <laughs> and uh, just kind of insinuates himself into the little group there and becomes like their pal so he can get in the inner circle, which I thought was pretty slick. Leave it to the shapeshifter. Yeah. <laughs> and it's neat too because you know, they're they're on a Hollow Suite program, so they ignore people's appearances and what they're wearing and stuff. They just like normal people to the holograms, which I think is interesting. Yeah, well, you know, welcome to Holodex. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think that's a, always a cool feature. It always, it's it's a neat way to kind of hand wave away like any kind of uh, physical deformity. Conflict. Well, that and you know, not having the characters react like, oh, you sure dress strangely and doing that whole fucking bit every single time. All right, so Kira's over at the blackjack table, and she, she just busted, blew all her chips. Well, who shows up but uh, Frankie Two Eyes, or whatever the hell his name is, Frankie Eyes, uh, who immediately takes a shine to her and is like, no, 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 uh, you're stay in. Don't give her that shitty card. Pull another card for her. <laughs> and it, which, hilariously, has to happen like four or five times <laughs> before she gets a decent card. And he's like, yeah, this isn't like Bashir's uh, um, um, James Bond program where it's purposely stacked in his favor. No, these are just you know shitty cards. Right, right. I mean, this is actually like a real blackjack program, I guess. Where the cards are random. <laughs> so she finally wins, and uh, so Frankie just starts like schmoozing with her, and she schmoozes right back. Okay, I guess. Uh, they have this horrible dialogue back and forth. What passes for flirting if you're a mobster, I guess. Meanwhile, back with Odo, 
Bartrix. Yes, which is very strange. The what? Moving the cup without shake the water shake without the uh, boo shaking at all, or no, stretching his arm out of his sleeve. Oh, well, maybe it's just really thick alcohol. <laughs> is it gelatinized? All right, so <clears throat> this is one of those things where better video quality would really help. Poor DSI. yeah, I agree. All right, so we cut up to Vic's room where the whole Scooby gang is is convened, and they start spreading all their information to one another. Okay, here's what's going on. Here's that and the other. So Frankie is being bankrolled by some mobster called Carl Zemo. Baron Zemo? Oh, now, now, one thing that I did like it, I don't know, I think it was uh, at the bar with Dodo, is that apparently there's a... Uh, <laughs> uh, that oh they they just think uh, he's from Jersey. Yeah, yeah. So apparently the, the guy who's bankrolling this is an old Captain America villain. Too bad it wasn't Batrock the Leaper. <laughs> Which Captain America? Hydra Cap? No, no Hydra. Bucky Cap? Cap? No. Sam Falcon Cap? Cap? No. Oh, U.S. Agent. Oh yeah, no. him. Oh, Werewolf Cap. No. <laughs> Renegade? No. Lorenzo Lamas? Remember back before the Avengers movies when nobody gave a shit about Captain America for like yep. 20 years, 30 years? Yep. Remember back before, I don't know, Iron Man when nobody gave a shit about Marvel in general? <laughs> yeah. Oh no. People <clears throat> love the X-Men. Well, they shouldn't have, but yes, I'll I'll give you that. <laughs> I'm, but, well, you're thinking movies. I'm thinking comic-wise, the 90s was the X-Men. I'm Yeah, I'm not disagreeing there. I'm just saying it wasn't deserved. So the casino is bringing in about a million bucks a month. Uh, and Vic surmises that Zemo is going to show up in a few days to get his cut of the money. He takes only like a 20% skim off the top. So the thing is... Uh, Frankie's got nothing to worry about. He's got plenty of money. Zemo gets his cut, and then everything is going to keep going like it's going. So the Scooby gang figures, well, shit, if Zemo doesn't get his money, what's going to happen to Frankie? Nothing good, I assume. He's going to go Ugh. the way of Little Polly. <laughs> yeah. Which which Polly? Little Polly. Little Polly. Not Big Polly. He was fine. So Polly Pocket? <laughs> yes. Didn't she want a cracker? This is the worst episode. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm stretching like Odo. All right. So the gang quickly figures out what we have to do is we got to get into the safe room, steal all the money. So when Zemo gets here to take his money, nothing's going to be in there and he's going to take it out on Frankie. And then that should everything should go back to normal because then Frankie will be gone. OK. Are there any of last problems that can't be solved by a caper? Are there any of life's problems that can't be solved by setting someone else up to be murdered? <laughs> That's what a caper is. Yeah. Like, can we save this podcast by a caper? I don't can we know get, like, got. 12 guys to, like, rob us of recording devices? I don't know. I have a and lot give of it to a better And give it to be a, people who could actually do a good, proper podcast? We don't know any of them. <laughs> 
Yeah, we should really get into YouTube, y'all. That's where the money is. No, I thought a caper was like some little berry that you put in. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to go there with like locks and bagels and cream cheese with capers and everything, but I was like, eh, I'll let it go. But since you brought it up, now I'm hungry. I Thanks. assumed if I made the reference, it would annoy Hey Mickey, and that's always worthwhile. <laughs> Who hates capers? <laughs> all right, so they they all do go team venture and decide they're going to rob the casino. So what I understand is, why don't they just ask Felix, who wrote this, what is the proper way to solve this? Because I assume well, they Felix wouldn't is, tell them. Yeah, I assume Felix is an asshole, and even if they explain, you know, Vic has taken a different direction how you wrote the program originally, can is there like a reset button we can do to make it go back or whatever? Like what? Do or we, the sequence? Or how are you? To, yeah, but right. Or just know. give us a Game Shark code. That or too. just a walkthrough. Just a walkthrough. Yeah, no, I assume Felix would be an asshole and insist they, you know, figure it out for themselves because it protecting his artistic integrity or whatever. What a dick. Exactly. Yeah, I want sentient. I, I we want... already know we tried to kill Bashir earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it's not a good story unless an actual sentient being is killed. It's like the sacrifice to the altar of art or something. All right, so we cut back into the count room where they're just like pouring out just stacks and stacks and stacks of cash. They have a uh, two One guys. dollar bill. Dollar two. Dollar bill. <laughs> One for me, two for you. <laughs> two for me, two for you. All right, so uh, uh, Kira's in there, and she's in there still flirting hard with Frankie Two Eyes, Frankie Eyes, whatever the fucking name is. Uh, so she gets is getting a tour, which is great. So now she gets to scout out who's in there, how they do the operation, and what goes on. So Frankie asserts himself as being a bad guy by being mean to people for no reason. Or just a boss. Just... I guess. Uh, alrighty. So then they have Cassidy. She's in the one-armed bandit right near the door near the security guard. She, she immediately begins flirting with. He's kind of hot. I, well, I mean... <laughs> I mean, yeah, look at the guy. I mean, he's like a G.I. Joe character. Look at him. <laughs> yeah, right now they're basically just getting the lay of the land and figuring out how to arrange this caper. All right, so at this point, I got to ask, and I had a long conversation with my wife about this. Uh, you have sex with a holodeck character, Sweet character, whatever. Is it cheating? Well, to take Quark at his word, the whole Sweet business is based around this use, uh, you know, that is having sex with things in the Holosuite. So, sure. You know, probably in a general sense, depending on your culture, no. Well, according to Bulgarians, it's a yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I'm not surprised. Yeah, well, neither am I. All right, so we got into like the little, uh, the little, uh, I guess, restaurant area, and uh, Cheech is sitting there stuffing his meaty sandwich into the mouth of some busboy. There's probably a better way to say that. Um, so, yeah, he's complaining about a cheese stick sandwich not being good enough and just, like, almost myrtleizes this poor waiter. <laughs> but it's okay. Odo's here to save the day. Yeah, so Odo comes in with Esri, who is just adorable. My God. She's so cute. So, anyway, uh, he's like, oh, uh, she she needs a job. And she's, and she's like, oh, I, I wait just real good, mister. I'll serve drinks. <laughs> Yeah, that's the ticket. She's doing her Harley Quinn impersonation. Yeah, Mr. J. <laughs> My pudding. Um, all right, so she gets the job because, of course, you know. Because she's so young and cute. 
Well, yeah. So Odo's like, oh, okay, great. Well, all you want. And she's like, ah, don't worry about it. You're my pal. So Vic appears around the corner looking for trouble, apparently. And uh, says, no, I just want to talk. I just want to talk to Frankie. I just want to bury the hatchet. You know, just, I don't know whatever happened. Let's just want to make things right. You know, and, and none of this stuff. So uh, Frankie meets up with uh, Vic. And they're kind of standing around the roulette table. And, and Vic is just throwing himself on his tender mercies. Which is not going very well. There's so much exposition in this fucking episode. I'm getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> so, if there's anything to joke about or comment on, feel free. <laughs> nope, that would just slow it down. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Vic is like, look, if you just give me a chance, I'll bring in some high rollers. They'll drop, you know, tens. <clears throat> Tens of grands of money, tens of thousands of dollars, and all that. Just give me a chance. Tens of money, great. You heard me. <laughs> Multiple grands, so many grands. Hundred grands. How well, could they cram all those grands? <laughs> I just want some biscuits now. <laughs> so, uh, so Frankie goes, okay, fine. You bring in some high rollers. I may let you may let you stick around. So you know he and Vic looks suitably. Oh, he's so nervous and scared. And as soon as Frankie walks away, he's like, aha, all part of the plan. Yeah. All right. So now this is where it starts getting interesting, at least for a very limited amount of time. So we cut up to Cisco's quarters. Cassidy's in there. She's, she just got done explaining to him. It's like, here's what's going on. We're going to sneak in. We're going to steal the money. She's like, you know, telling uh, her boyfriend all about this. To which she's like, I can't believe you play those childish video games instead of reading a book like an adult. You disgust me with your immature mode of entertainment. So he's like, he just completely cannot believe that, that his girlfriend and the entire senior staff is in this fucking hollow suite playing this stupid game. And she's like, well, you know, Vic's a friend. He's a real kind of sentient being. Uh, I kind of expected you to wish me luck. Cisco is just totally like, that's not even real Vic Fontaine. He's just a hologram. So it finally breaks down and goes, okay, look, I'll fucking tell the you. Real the real Vic Fontaine? Is. Well, that's what he said. I don't know. Maybe he's based on a real person. I don't know. He's not. So... <laughs> okay, I believe you. Anyway, Cisco takes uh, a minute to get fairly Tumblr. Yeah, this gets all, uh, he starts throwing around shitlord and saying there's 47 genders. I don't know what's going on. Um, he says, I'll tell you, Las Vegas, 1962, that's my fucking problem. And he just comes out and goes, in 62, black people were not welcome there. They could show up as entertainers, they could be waitstaff or, or janitors, but they could never be customers. Why would you want to support this false vision of history, you know, that was against our people, you know, that we were treated as second-class citizens? And Cassidy immediately comes out and goes, yeah, that's the way real Vegas was. This is a hollow suite. This is a fantasy. We get to live a fantasy. That's the point of a hollow suite. <laughs> and it's not the way it is at Vic's. Vic himself would never be that way. And she's like, look, I've never felt uncomfortable. There's none of that in this program. Get over your fucking self and come have some fun. So Cisco is just like, that's the lie. You know, they're, they're basically whitewashing history. It was a real thing that really happened. It was a real struggle. And by you doing this, you're forgetting all that stuff. To which she comes and goes, look, I know it's not accurate, but it's 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 a fantasy what things could have been like, not what they really are. That's <laughs> the whole point. That's the whole point of fiction is to enjoy things in, in a fantastic way. 
And this is where I say yeah. he, you know, is Tumblr about it because it's like, nope, if your fiction's not completely 100% accurate to historical fact, it's, you know, not worth having. It's insulting or negative yeah. or or something like that. And she just really kind of nukes him with the, yeah, back then we had limitations put on our people by outside forces. Nowadays, our only limitations are the ones we put on ourselves. Oh! <laughs> to which makes him kind of bite his lip and think for a minute and go, fuck. <laughs> he actually, you, know, you can see it actually, the gears turning in his head, which I think is, is fantastic. Okay, so I kind of feel like we should pause there for a second. No. <laughs> why? Okay, well, no, no, none seriously, of us are after... why? Why should we pause or? Yes. I mean, we don't, we don't want to talk about that. I guess I I mean, none of us are African American. No, no, he was playing the whole time. Anyway, so, I mean, yeah, none of us are African American that I know of. Um, I've never seen any of these people. It's a podcast. Who cares? Um, so, anybody have any thoughts about that situation? I would if my brain wasn't already leaking out my ears. <laughs> okay. I would if I hadn't been up since 3.30. Okay. All right, point taken. All right, so we cut back down to uh, Vic's room. Uh, the whole Scooby gang is there. They've got a little chalkboard with a map of the place. Uh, Cassie's making tea for everybody or coffee for what everybody. What is Bashir wearing? Uh, casual wear in the 24th century, apparently. So what they're is kind that of neckline? So, is this from, is this from the Captain Kirk collection? <laughs> Whereas Vic is just wearing like a polo shirt. <laughs> um, so they're like, okay, well, is, is Worf going to help us? No, he's an asshole. Uh, is Quark going to help us? Uh, no, Quark actually sees Vic's as, a, as competition. So no, which I think is hilarious. But they need one more person for this plan to carry out. So they hide the chalkboard. There's a knock on the door. They hide the chalkboard. And uh, who walks in? Captain. All right, tell me how to save the day. Yeah. Is basically what he that, says when he comes in. Daddy's here. <laughs> it's not, you know, he doesn't come in and say, like, okay, what can I do to help? It's, okay, what do you need me to do? Right. Like, just the, the phrasing and the delivery of the line makes it seem really like Cisco feels like they should be dependent on him now that he has decided to come participate. <laughs> and okay, here just fills. And, of course, I love how his job is just fill space. <laughs> do something literally anyone could do because it doesn't require any specific skills or any qualities of them. It requires just spending lots of someone else's money. Yeah, his job is anything anybody else could do if everybody didn't have all the jobs assigned already. So even I could do this part of it. He's the towel boy. Ooh. Avery Brooks is a towel boy. Hmm. Towel boy, not pool boy. Okay. Uh, okay. So it, apparently it's been some time. Everyone's all like relaxed and tired. They're coming up with the plan. So they do the, the very annoying storytelling thing of like, okay, I know we've gone over this six times. Let's go over it one more time for the audience. Uh, if the right. Ocean's Eleven parody hasn't like sunk into everyone by now. Yes. So it's Ocean's Warp 11. Nah, there's going to be a better one than that. All right. So they start going into the plan, and we get to see scenes of the plan acted out. Oh, my God. This is where it gets so tedious. And we're like we're like literally halfway through, and I'm, this is already so tedious. 
Well, suffice to say, they go through the plan, and as they run through it, everything runs perfectly smoothly and goes off without a hitch. Well, that's how plans are supposed to go. That's why it's a plan. <laughs> well, no, you, you plan for things to go wrong is the thing. Like, you have your contingencies right. and yeah. your morning after so... pills. <laughs> oh, my God. What, they call it Plan B? <laughs> uh, it's the it's a refit, you know, so... No, that would be right, plan so... A, wouldn't it? <clears throat> right. No, that's not even All plan right, A. So... Plan A was another ship entirely, damn it. <laughs> okay, so uh... after they do the run-through, uh, everybody's kind of just practicing for their jobs. Yeah, everyone's got their little job to do, either distracting or cracking a safe or putting in... Bashir is practicing puke... making a roofie. Yeah, puke roofie. Uh... The, the first time that... Uh... <clears throat> that... Uh... Opened the safe. I was thinking, oh, th that's a really good scene transit. Oh, wait a minute. She's just sitting on the other side. <laughs> that would have been a really good scene transition, though. You're right. Yeah. Also, I like how they just have a safe door set up in someone's quarters. Right. Okay, so here, here's the thing, and I'm sure this has been answered before, but this is actually like a Star Trek question. So Odo, when he shapeshifts, where does his mask go? The same place as Optimus Prime's trailer. Subspace. Berman or someone suggested that, yes, maybe we're changing shit, uh, like, changing shifter mass into subspace when they become something small. But it's just like, well, that's one explanation that could work within the universe. It's not like a binding thing. Yeah, because that's the thing is like, because Adrian comes in carrying uh, Odo as the tray holding the drinks, mm -hmm. who then just reforms into his full normal human sized self with a briefcase. He actually, the briefcase is actually part of his body, which is <laughs> kind of freaky too. But I mean, I'm the closer part of his body. Yes. So, so yeah, why not a briefcase? No, no, I hear you. I'm not saying it's dumb or anything. It's just weird just to think about it. It's like, Ew. well, there was that know. one time too. Look, it did. No, the clothes being part of his body are weird because it means he's naked all the time. <laughs> he's not naked. He's naked. <laughs> which is being which is, no clothes on but up to something. Well, I assume okay. that was just Fort Max's Texas accent coming through. Um, Space Australian? Uh-huh. That's the one. No, but what's uh, really freaky is that time when Odo formed a cup full of coffee out of himself and drank it and then refilled <laughs> the cup from himself. It's just like cupping your hand under a water, you know, under a sink. Yes, if deal. the water that came out of the sink was <clears throat> also made of you. Ew. That's what I'm saying. He made a cup of coffee out of himself, attached to his hand, drank it, and then refilled. Because normally, normally you need to, like, remove a rib or two if you're going to drink yourself. No? Nothing? No. All right. <laughs> okay. You, you, um, you strained a little too far for that one, Scott. That's that is how I pulled my back that one time. Alright, whatever. So end of the whole fucking thing, it's gonna take eight minutes. So they got eight minutes when the guy leaving and getting sick and the dude making the phone call and the distractions and this, that, and the other for all this to pull off without a hitch. So that's it. So they gotta do it tomorrow night because Zemo's gonna show up in two days, so they have to do it tomorrow night. Yay! Ha ha! Got a plan. Let's do it. Let's have a heist. Let's have a caper. Woo. So then they do the march down the promenade in costume, and Quark's just like, yeah. you know, Morn, I'm pretty sure something's going on up there. 
And Morton's like, holy fucking shit, I think you're right, man. We should do something about this. I mean, I want to join them, but, you know, I, I can't really leave the bar because I owe the tab. And, you know, my wife died. And I just can't stop drinking. So, anyway. <laughs> I mean, Morton did, did see all that. It's, it's in the extended cut, in the director's cut. You'll see it. Just like the extended O'Brien scene later. Exactly. There's a director's cut that's even longer than this episode. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's actually the length of Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> okay, so now we have slightly less than half the episode to go through this whole fucking plan. God We've damn got it. like 15 minutes left. <sighs> Listen, we're not even so an hour in yet, and we've already gone through 29 minutes. Okay, so we're, we're getting there. All right, so Kira Who shows up. this episode? Scott. I don't no, think so. I don't think so. <laughs> All it right, so Kara, I'm sure of it. Positive. Well, let me look at the show notes on the thing. Yep, yep. It was Ken. Yeah. All right, so Kira comes in, starts flirting with flirting with Frankie. Starts flirting with Frankie, getting him distracted. O'Brien and Cassidy are at the uh, blackjack table. Yeah, blackjack table near the uh, near the room. They all start giving each other meaningful glances from across the room. Oh my god, we get it. Uh, all right, something interesting going to happen eventually? Maybe? No? Not yet? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> Maybe in another Edry, episode. Edry takes a drink order. All right, the plan's starting to come together. They're all getting ready. Cisco starts dropping 10 Gs on craps, which, you know what? I have never understood how craps is played. I, I have not the first clue. Nobody understands how craps is played. They just put their chips down, throw the dice, and hope they get something back. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you want sevens, but you don't want snake eyes. That's about as much as I know. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of it. I think you want 11 at some point, too. <clears throat> Man, I don't even look, know. Look, Next Generation tried to teach us how craps is played, but Riker decided it wasn't relevant at that time. <laughs> well, plus Data cheated anyway by, like, loading the dice That's with his hands. That's because Riker was getting impatient and didn't want to keep waiting for it to happen naturally. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure Data can't just squeeze dice and make them loaded. Uh, well, I think he did, though. You're not arguing with me. You're arguing with canon TV show, man. Yeah, you argued with Roddenberry. I ain't doing it. So Kira is flirting with Frankie. Frankie says, hey, let's go to the craps table. And she's like, oh, no, no. I might touch you with my foot under the table if you stay here. Okay, I guess I'll stay then. Well, it was the 60s, you know. <laughs> yes. And like he's like, footsies. I guess that's a start. It was the 60s. Everyone <laughs> had a foot fetish. That's why they wore hats. All right, so one of the counter dudes from the money thing comes out on time to go make his phone call to whoever, and the plan gets started. The plot thins. Someone spills their drinks. Yeah, so like immediately, right off, Ezri, clumsy bitch, drops the drinks for no reason. Look, all I'm going to say is Ezri can drop as many drinks as she wants as long as she keeps wearing that outfit. Uh, Agreed. I can't, I can't argue with that. It's okay, though. Bashir gets up and goes and steals somebody else's drinks and roofies them instead. Yeah, well, luckily, because it is 1962, every drink is a martini, so it's all fine. <laughs> and he gets specifically stirred. Yes. <laughs> all right, so uh, at this point, Cisco has uh, got a big enough crowd around the craps table. He's a spectacle. 
<laughs> you just call people that. Maybe he should, like, instead of, you know, going with the game, maybe he should just, like, got up on the table and did his whole, you know, black people aren't welcome here thing. <laughs> <laughs> that probably would have drawn you so much Either attention. that or started going on about how it was real again. We didn't land on Las Vegas. Las Vegas landed on us. <laughs> Like if all the if the point is to distract everybody and like get the security people away from their posts, Cisco could have just like made a big violent scene and then you know. Well, I mean, because the the holiday characters aren't programmed to see things they're not supposed to see. He could have just told someone, "Hey, no, I'm black," <laughs> <laughs> and then the simultaneous clutching of pearls in the entire room would have distracted everybody. <laughs> you know, I happen to be of African American descent. <laughs> That'd have been an it. So Ezra gets right, to the so Ezra... count room, and oh no, another monkey wrench. It's not the normal counter. Yeah, and he's not thirsty. And she's like, okay. He gets all dickish about it. So Then I but... guess I'll have it. Yeah, so she, nope. she very quickly goes, oh, well, I guess I'll drink it. And he's like, oh, well, God, God forbid somebody else have something. I'm going to drink it, even though I don't want it, just to keep you from having it. What a dick. He, like, drinks it angrily, too. He, like, looks at her and sneers and drinks it all in one gulp. What an asshole. All right, back at the craps table. I oh, mean, see, there's a whole bunch of nothing. Fucking goddammit. All right, so, yeah, craps table. Distraction. There, Esri comes out, which means dude's going to come run out puking any second now. Is as Esri jiggles across the room. I was not clear on that. Well, he's grabbing his mouth, so unless there's uh, some it's serious puke. problems. Epicac uh, is vomit. Oh, okay. Yes. So O'Brien steals some uh, shit. As a quick aside, I'm impressed by how quickly that practical effect works of the swirling the purple into disappearing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's I wonder, fun. I wonder what they were actually using for that effect. CG. <laughs> no, it's a real stuff. It's a real little dye that you can use that dissolves really quickly. No, it's CG. That's why they can't remaster this episode, because they have to re-render it. <laughs> It would be really expensive to Blu-ray like the later half of the series because of all those CG assets they'd have to redo. Mm-hmm. Don't the fans do it. They'll do it for free. Suckers. Okay, so anyway, so Pukey Pukey. Yeah, Pukey Pukey runs out. O'Brien is uh, uh, stealing chips. Cassie accuses him of being a thief, and they kind of argue. Dude runs out. Blech. So everything's kind of going. Everything's going fine. Up until Nog gets in the count room and discovers, oh, the safe I've been practicing on is not this safe. It's not safe at all. Oh, uh, this, this safe, safe is even safer than the safe he was safing. Yeah, he's got this has got like a safety safety lock that safely locks in case there's a, a someone tries to unlock the safe. Yes. So Kira and Frankie are still far. She's doing everything she can to keep him distracted. I think poor Max just passed out and fell on the ground. I think that was Mickey. Oh, unfortunately, oh, no. I'm so conscious throughout all of this. <laughs> it's like surgery without anesthesia. Oh my goodness. Okay, so Frankie, you still like, hey, uh, Carrie, you want to go uh, hit the tables? She's like, no, I might touch you with one of my hands later <laughs> if you stay here. I'm gonna keep inventing appendages. Nah. So all the, right. the the uh, casino chip drama keeps going on. And the security guard's like, sir, you're clearly Irish. Uh, you're almost <laughs> obviously a thief. So, <laughs> Yes, they can't, they can't see black people, but they see Irish with perfect clarity. <laughs> well, they, they were, yeah. Kind of black well, their skin's so pale, they kind of glow. 
Meanwhile, Vic's all stressing about how much time it's taking. Things are yeah, going cause... wrong. Yeah, so the guy's on the phone. He won't get off the phone. He's stuck on the phone. He's got off the phone. Nog is unable to think. Odo's starting to freak out. Well, as much as Odo it's can all... freak out, that, that, you know, facial prosthetic is pretty thick. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I've got the episode running, and when you made that noise, that was exactly when he was eye-rolling in the episode. Yeah, me too. That, that was, was really well done now, for Max. I do like the fact that Odo glances at his watch, which means the watch is part of him, which means he is so good, he can intricately create the mechanisms of a wristwatch. He can make a working communicator. Out of himself? Evidently. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Look, it's ears that are difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I assume Odo could, like, just study a circuit schematic and emulate that perfectly, because it's all, like, straight lines. But watch out for fucking ears. Hey, I bet uh, you could draw a circuit diagram better than you could draw a face. You know, that's... I don't appreciate you bringing up my... I don't know, I can't... <laughs> uh, I can't make that joke. All right, so curious in their form with Frankie, uh, and guess who shows up a day early? Baron Zemo. This guy looks familiar. Like, Where have I seen him before? Uh, I don't know, like the the melted wax museum. Ah, yes, <laughs> yes, I think he was from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, he was. He, I think I After think he's they the, looked at the Ark. Yes, right. <laughs> he he might actually. If you've ever been to a stroke ward in a hospital. <laughs> It's a very perverted ward. Not as perverted as Burt Ward, but anyway. All right, so Zemo's like, give me my money. I can't move my mouth. <laughs> give me my money. I fart dust. <laughs> Farting so dust is... would be awesome. <laughs> like talcum powder. <laughs> You're like an ink. You're like a squinting ink when you get scared. You go for this big white cloud like a ninja fart and you run away. I want this power now. Yeah, well, I got good news for you. Give me some Vaseline, some talcum powder, and a turkey baster, and we can make this work. I'm intrigued. Okay, well, forget the Vaseline. Let's just go right for the talcum powder and the <laughs> turkey baster. So Zemo wants his money right that minute. So, okay. Cuts down to Bashir, who's got two eights and three kings. Holy shit, what an amazing hand. Well, he's an augment. He's been cheating. Card counting. I guess, I guess so, because holy crap. So the dude gets off the phone. Bashir sees this, like, oh shit, he folds. And then uh, interrupts the guy. So he, like, and he makes like he's him. one of the enforcers. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're in trouble. Go out back in the alleyway and wait for someone to put a gun against your head. And he goes like, oh, okay. But I didn't do anything. Well, too bad. You're going to get shot anyway. Yeah. You're not sentient, are you? No. Oh, then you'll, well, if you didn't do anything, you'll be just fine. Right. All right. So they're still trapped in the safe room. And here comes Baron Zemo with his uh, his lady friends and his goons. It's okay because Vic, Vic starts molesting up. her. <laughs> yeah, Vic comes up and just starts manhandling his lady friend. <laughs> And basically, you know, calls her a whore in front of Zemo's face. Right. That's a very lovely remember scene. You, remember in Miami when you won that dick sucking contest? That was amazing. <laughs> you ever seen her suck a dick? Oh my god, it's amazing. Who's this, your grandpa? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vic is pretty likable, I, I have to admit. They got a really good actor to do that role, yes. 
Yeah, I mean he he is that guy, man. He is he's Vic more Montaigne. likable than the episode is. So Vic's being escorted <laughs> out to be buried alive, um, and Cisco yep. improvises and just starts throwing all the cash into the air. Of course, leave it up to the black dude in the in the club to make it rain. <laughs> <laughs> and that even uh, the enforcers are going after the money. Yeah, even Cheech. <laughs> Cheech looks annoyed for a second, and then he kind of gives the, "Oh, I can't not do this." And he gets on the ground, and starts scooping up money. <laughs> It's like, like peanut butter to a dog. It's like, man, I don't want to, but I have to. And then there's this whole, like, you know, 45-second sequence of Cheech just trying to lick the inside of his mouth. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> That's weird, but I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> Intro quote. Uh, so finally, finally, Nog gets the damn door open, and they... 11 minutes later... Yeah, it's been way too long. They've stalled. It's amazing they haven't been caught. So they start just piling in the money into the big suitcase. You know, it's it's kind of uh, this point where it becomes impractical for Odo to form the suitcase out of himself. Because then he only has the one hand to use to, you know, scoop the money in. Right. Maybe he so, could have, like, sprouted three or four extras to make it go faster. Because he totally could have, because he's a goddamn changeling. And, like, the way the scene uh, is framed, when the perspective being inside, you could totally just have, like, another guy down below with matching You could sleeves. have a extra holding the uh, case. No, yeah. well, that too, but, like, no, just for the illusion of having more arms sprout out of Odo, you could do that as a practical effect with a person below the frame of the shot, because... Like I said, an extra. Well, you said oh holding God. the case, though. You pedantic motherfuckers. <laughs> All right, so security guard is talking to O'Brien. He's like, "Hey, uh, Charlie, come over here. Uh, I think our little our little ink spot friend needs a strip search." <laughs> hey, Mick, <laughs> for, for a strip search. <laughs> to which Cassie's just like, "Yeah, it's fine, you know." <laughs> it's, she looks looks over and goes, "No, this is okay. This is an okay thing to happen <laughs> to O'Brien." Meanwhile, well, so O'Brien just like for... again. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, Nog, now in the uh, guard uniform, and Odo, they make their way out and uh, calmly make their way across the casino. And uh, just right on schedule, they got the money, they're going to dump it outside. Everything's good to go. So everything's actually worked out. So now it's just, let everything play out. So Frankie and Zemo go in the room and open the safe, and oh no, it's empty. Lo and behold. And then we get this, like, slow-motion death march through the um, the showroom. Yeah, well, that before Baron Zemo's like, what my money? What my money? What? What's my money? <laughs> Where'd they, they get this guy? Yeah, so, they, yeah. Hey, well, I do like the fact that they have they set up the scene of the Ocean's Eleven kind of thing, where Frankie's walking by, it's kind of slow-motion, she's behind him, and then it shows uh, all of our characters... Sitting on the at right the side, sitting at the bar. Yeah, as it goes like one by one and shows them in juxtaposition to Frankie walking by. I thought that was, that was really good. They all kind of turn and look and turn. And I if, that was and if there's shot. any doubt what was about to happen to them, the scene where they're walking out the door, the guys <laughs> escorting them have their hands on their guns and their coats. Yeah, you can see the gun like sticking out of the coat. It's clear they're about to be murdered out in the alley. Now, the most important resolution has just walked in as O'Brien comes into the bar dressing. <laughs> Yes, he's putting on his clothes, like, buttoning up his shirt. So, wait, as soon as Frankie walks out, though, everything in the bar magically zaps back to Vic Fontaine's place, back to normal. So, as soon as Frankie walks through that doorway, 
the program switches back to normal. And that's when O'Brien comes in. Putting his clothes back on. So it's good to know that this scenario played out just long enough for him to get strip searched by a hologram. Yeah, so it's Bashir's like, what happened to you? And O'Brien is like, I don't want to talk about it. Cavity search, boys. It happened in Vegas. It stays in Vegas. <laughs> and then, holy shit, Cisco can sing. Yes, he can. It's like the only good part of the episode, really. <laughs> yeah, so then the end, the last few minutes is just, uh, yeah, just Cisco up on stage with Vic, and they're singing their hearts out. So that's it. That's uh, that's it. Yep, that was it. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Fuck. So All right. What are we doing next time? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the next uh, next episode we have planned, which I will move back, is uh, TNG season four, episode thirteen, "Devils Do." Okay, so the GI old GI Joe publisher. Yeah, them. Yes. And then the week after that, we're doing Dark Horse. Dark Horse. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm not real sure uh, what to that think was about a good, this. I knew it was a fun episode to watch, not so much to talk about. Yeah, I I knew that when we were watching. It's like, there's a lot of quiet and there's a lot of nothing going on. And the story is very simple. Yep. But there's a problem. They walk through the plan once and then they do the plan with some slight variations. And then that's it. I mean, even watching the episode, like I could have done without the perfect run through done in like full detail. Because that felt like padding for time. Yeah. Well, I guess the show, like, so so people watching what really happened, they would know the difference, you know? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So not not the greatest episode. Um, like I said, there was that one bright, shining moment in the middle where Cisco gets all indignant and then just lets it go, and then that's it. And a lovely O'Brien must suffer moment. Yep. Yep. That was, like, kind of mandatory in there, so that was kind of cool. But otherwise, eh, not a, not a great episode. I kind of would like to see Worf participate. I, yeah, I think he would have followed the plan, though. It would have been interesting to see him try to roll with things going wrong. To see him kind of improvise? Yeah. Because, like, one thing you can say about Worf, he kind of, you know, one track. Yeah, he gets locked into that. a course of action, and yeah. it's kind of hard to shift him off of that. Which is probably yeah, why I mean, you know everyone's made a career of telling him no whenever he suggests something. <laughs> like, do you remember watching Pinky in the Brain? There was that one, the Pinky POV, which kind of explains what's going on from Pinky's perspective whenever Brain's talking. Yeah, that rings a bell. And yeah, it's just yeah. all the like you know this crazy stream of consciousness imagery. And, you know, from that, it's like, oh, well, these non-sequiturs make perfect sense now. We need something like that with Worf, where, like, you know, somebody says something, then it just, like, cuts to Worf's imagination, where he's, like, playing the whole scenario out in his head, and everything turns into this huge disaster. Then he's like, okay, we should do this to avoid that, but he never, like, elaborates on the why. It's just, we should do this. (laughs) No, Worf. (laughs) It's just... He looks around. He's like on a Klingon bridge, and like <laughs> even though it's like there's like a peaceful like freighter that they're talking to on the screen, he sees it as like a Romulan Dedirdex or something, and everyone's got knives behind their backs, and yeah, <laughs> get like paranoid delusions. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, I can see that. Worf has PTSD without, you know, the, the trauma. Right. <laughs> he doesn't suffer from it. He enjoys it. <laughs> Keeps him sharp. Ugh. Like his teeth. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, so we get to watch Devil's Do next, so that'd be a lot more fun. We get to see Ardra yes. vamp it up. Mm. Yes, God. <laughs> Devil's Do is a really fun episode. Yeah, it is. I, I remember watching it when it came out, and I remember just thinking, oh, this is awesome. I remember really enjoying the episode as a kid. It's fun. I mean, it is funny. I mean, it's got a little bit of everything. It's got, you know, Picard being a badass, it's got like a cool villain, which is rare. They're there. They're strong in Star Trek, but we they're rare. We should talk about how much we're going to enjoy talking about that episode instead of talking about this episode. We're doing that right now. We should do that from the beginning of the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so from now on, we'll start every podcast by talking about the episode we're going to do next week. Right. Oh, man, next week's going to be so great, you guys. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, stick around. this podcast. <laughs> stick around for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like season four is to me, like, the high point of Next Generation. Mm-hmm. It's got the most consistent run of really good episodes and the fewest bad episodes. Uh, season five is right there behind it, but, like, season four really is where the show hit its stride. Yeah, I agree. I and mean, then did you get over season the... six happened. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you get the past the growing pains and everything of season one and two. Riker gets his beard, and they get settled in. And yeah, so four, four and five were just just about perfect. Yeah, season three is really only good for Riker's beard having like finally filled in, <laughs> instead of being a makeup effect. <laughs> it was a merkin. So instead of Troy being his beard, he actually got a real one. <laughs> you know, it's fun to imagine Troy twerking. Uh, and it's surprisingly easy. My brain immediately conjured that yeah, image. Yeah, you can picture it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was totally easy. So it's almost, Much it's like your like... mom. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it wasn't like it's something new, I imagine. It's almost like a memory. That's how easy it came to my brain. Yeah. See, I picture it in her, in her burgundy jumpsuit. That, me too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Why that one in particular? I don't know. That's just the one that pops in my head when I'm picturing Troy twerking and crumping and shit. Yeah, agreed. Popping and locking. No, no. <laughs> Dropping and flowing. I don't know. <laughs> They're kids with their newfangled terms. You know, I can imagine Worf playing something equivalent to a first-person shooter on the holodeck and teabagging. <laughs> yes, you like that, don't you? Ha! Ah. <laughs> I'm displaying my mastery over this game and over you by doing this to you. That's why no one will play Halo with Worf anymore. (laughs) No. (laughs) Imagine a Klingon nutsack would give you a concussion. Yeah, it's probably all, like, ridged and shit, too. Uh, It's got little bony plates on the underside. (laughs) Have you ever seen a Klingon get kicked in the crotch? No? Well, that's why. It's like a walnut shell. Thank you, yes. It's a Worf nut shell. No, that didn't work nearly as well as I thought it was going to. No, it really mind. didn't. <laughs> yeah, you you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. <laughs> and in your case, 100% of the shots you do take. <laughs> right, well, I was going to say 99, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll just agree to disagree. Yes, we'll agree uh, that you're wrong. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, that episode was weird and boring and... Almost got fun, but didn't. 
That episode was a really good concept. It was cute and fun, but it was kind of meaningless. That's what I don't like about it. It didn't really do anything. I didn't come away by gaining anything. I didn't gain anything from the episode. I kind of just like that basically the writer said, I just saw Ocean's Eleven. Let's do that. Yeah. The sad thing is, if you look at the uh, like background information on Memory Alpha for a lot of Deep Space Nine episodes, there's usually an item in there somewhere where it's like, well, we decided we wanted to do this as a Star Trek episode. Which is kind of a shame, because it's like, isn't there like a war or something going on? Isn't there like a whole other quadrant of the galaxy to explore and do things with? I mean, why? Well, why if they want we... to explore things, they want me to set in a space station, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> they have runabouts. They have a fucking... Fucking starship. He's a captain now. Look, if the, the show was going to be about exploration, they would have gone through the wormhole in a spaceship and never come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, basically that no. like that could have been it. Um, you know, instead of doing Star Trek Voyager in '95, you do, you know, basically Star Trek Voyager, but it's just going to the Gamma Quadrant on a long-term exploration mission. I think that would have been interesting too. I mean, except the whole point of Voyager was that they couldn't get home whenever they wanted. Right, but yeah, they I just know. they still they still could have made an exploration show if they wanted to without having to resort to that contrivance of the caretaker and all that crap. What they could have done is they could have said that they are going through the wormhole, but something crazy happened inside the wormhole and it shot them out of the wrong spot. Exactly. That, yeah, but, uh, exactly. The Badlands and the caretaker and a bunch of nonsense and it still doesn't make any sense. Nope. Maybe what Voyager shouldn't have done is to send them, you know, 70,000 light years away. Like, make it a more reasonable number, because you know, even in the best of circumstances, you're probably not going to get more than 10 years out of a series. And, you know, by that, by the time Voyager ended, it basically was tradition. Okay, you do seven seasons of a Star Trek show. Because Deep Space Nine yeah. did it, Next Generation did it, Enterprise, <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. At least five. I, I have a bit of a problem with them being slung so far out there that basically it was unrealistic for them to ever expect to get home. Yeah, that's why. Like, that's where I'm at. With it, it was too far. Yeah, they should have been thrown like fifteen thousand light years past Federation explored space or whatever. Like, still far enough where they have no help or support mechanism, where they don't know mm. anybody who lives there. But like, yes through some contrivances, they can probably make it back to the known territories in their lifetimes, in the series' lifetime. Well, like, I they have to be like a 25-year journey back, where it's like, it's really daunting, it's like, oh, fuck that. But it's like, it's doable? Yeah. Rather than a 70-year journey? Well, and one Which of the things exactly one of the producers the... was saying, too, um, at some point, was like, it was always unrealistic to call it a 70-year journey because that assumes going continuously at the ship's maximum speed, which was never going to happen in any case, you know, even without having to, like, fit stories in every week. Yeah. Right, right. Because the ships just don't work that way in the universe. Right. Yeah. Voyager Voyager was a bad concept <laughs> to start with, basically. Yeah. It was the... It was... The it, was, it was a fine idea. Yeah, it was they the just barest chose some wrong details to finalize it with. It was the barest skeleton of a good idea. Anyway, I better get going because I have to be up at three something. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah absolutely. Point, you better just stay up. Yeah, I think hey Mickey's right. <laughs> sleep is for the weak. You can sleep when you're dead, which will happen a lot sooner if you don't actually sleep. <laughs> It'll be so nice. 
<laughs> no, you can go like six, ten days without sleeping before you die. Unless you drive, in which case it'll be a lot sooner. <laughs> Fort Max, don't drive. The van should be fine. <laughs> the van is I indestructible. I mean, you know, yeah. it's a Chevy. I think she's finally just falling unconscious. <laughs> good night, Fort Max. Yeah, good night. <laughs> good night, Fort Max. Good night. Besides, who wouldn't want to run away from conversation about Star Trek Voyager? <laughs> Even the things it did wrong, which is, you know, everything. The The, the worst part of it, too... They introduced the Maquis in Deep Space Nine specifically to facilitate them being part of the Voyager crew. But as it turns out, Deep Space Nine did way the hell more with the concept than Voyager ever did, because Voyager basically forgot the Maquis was a thing after, like, the first two weeks. Yep. Yeah, I, I just don't understand how they dropped the ball so bad. How, how, did, how did it lose its way so badly? Well, the caretaker brought them a very far away away. I'm going to slap you. <laughs> okay, that took me a second to catch on to, but yeah, that, that's good. Oh, no, I expected it. <laughs> I just wonder if... Like, I think one of Voyager's problems was that it was the first network Star Trek of the modern times. Um, so there was more different demands on it, probably, than something for first-run syndication. I also wonder, though, like if they had different showrunners doing Voyager, if it actually could have been better. I have to What's believe that's got to be true. Didn't we have basically most of the same showrunners as the other shows, though? Like, you know, Brandon and what all? Well, D-Space Nine okay. showrunner was Ira Bear, um, who did not do showrunning for either of the other series. Hmm. Uh, was so... Ira the only showrunner for DS9, though? Mm, he was the one who was functioning... I, mean, I assume they pulled talent between all the shows. Well, not for showrunners, I don't think, because a showrunner basically has to be focused on the thing they're doing. Like, you know, if you're dividing their attention between multiple projects, nothing's going to work right. But, well, yeah, as far as writers and such, though, I mean... Yeah, but it's still the showrunner's responsibility to make sure, you know, uh, whatever rewrites need to be done, get done, edits, changes, um, you know, story editing, would, you know, like all that stuff is stuff they have to be on top of. So if you don't have a good showrunner, all the work from the rest of your talent pool is not going to come together in a good way. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, if there was different executive producers and such in charge of Voyager, could they have gotten a better product out of the same, you know, cast and setting, like the basis of the setting? Could they have turned it into something better than it was? Well, sure. I don't know, that cast was pretty it, wooden. Especially since they didn't well, like each other. <laughs> well, yeah, that's always a problem in any kind of yeah. show, though. I always hate hearing that. I always hate hearing how, like, actors on shows don't like each other. But, I mean, it still also doesn't account for, was UPN themselves meddling in it so much that it couldn't have been any better? I think so, yes. I, I, I don't know about that, because it's obvious to see things that UPN is meddling with, like Seven of Nine. Mm -hmm. uh, the Rock showing up, so that's pretty <laughs> obvious. But the basic minor writing things, like we're talking about the McKee disappearing immediately, UPN had nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something a showrunner could have changed if someone with more of a sense of making there be more you know, internal conflict and friction and stuff like that had actually been working on the show. 
So, do you one of you guys watch uh, like Arrow or or The Flash on CW? I do not. I did. Yeah, I stopped watching Arrow. Uh, Flash is very quickly losing my attention, and the reason I bring that up is because the network they took this great premise in the first two seasons of both of those shows are very good. Like Arrow, the first two seasons I thought of Arrow were just magnificent. They are. Um, I, I well, I thought uh, I think I think especially the second season was really good. One with the um, Deathstroke and all that. Well, anything with Mano Bennett on screen is top Agreed. Totally agreed. Uh, but the thing is, and then it turns into this whiny, childish, like, who's writing this? A 12-year-old kind of interpersonal things that humans never do or say? In a I way? Mean, it, it, it's got to be the network. Kind of, yes. Actually, yeah, it's very much like In a Way, because there's no rivers. <laughs> it is. It's amazing. I mean, they have these conversations and conflicts that, like, no person would act this way. Why? why does, what is going on? And it I like is, how in like, season three of Arrow, there's some new uh, show rule that uh, Green Arrow's sister can no longer cover her belly button. Well, I mean, like certainly. every outfit she chooses to wear from season three onward has got a bare midriff. Yeah, and that's where my my <laughs> I have conflicting feelings about that. <laughs> but yeah, so you're you're right. But uh, yeah, I mean, you go into the series knowing that Oliver's required to be shirtless once per episode, which I'm okay with too. It's just funny when it starts like bleeding over to other characters as well, right? Uh, so it's just, it's just weird. So I, my point is that I think the network has a lot of influence over the show because that's the kind of show they want to make. They they can pull the strings, they can manipulate, they can push whatever narrative or agenda they want. So I'm thinking that's what okay. I believe. UPN. That's the point. Let's also remember this is UPN, the network that also brought us Homeboys in Outer Space and Shasta McNasty. I don't think they had their shit together to be Machiavellian overlords of their TV shows. It not, also well, is no, worth noting. Not, okay, so UPN launched in 95. They had a whole primetime lineup. It's worth noting that Voyager was the only show from that launch lineup that carried over to a second season. Everything else got canceled and replaced for the network's second season. Well, Star Trek carries a lot of weight. Well, no, I'm. It's just it talks to how shitty their programming was for their initial, you know, that, six months. Well, what I'm saying is, like, if if it weren't a Star Trek show, it probably would have had the same fate. If we're like at one season and then and then gone. Well, <laughs> there's Star- also that you know. With a first season, you don't really realize how bad a Star Trek show is. It needs to get a little farther in before you can judge. Sure. sure. I don't know. Enterprise was pretty easy to judge in the first season. <laughs> but it got so much better, though. That's, that's the thing. I've yet to see that, but I'm trudging well, along. Where are, where are you at? at? <laughs> um, Basically where we we were at just the other week. Oh, stick oh still, still yeah. in season two? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got to hit season three and four. And see, I did not enjoy season three when I was watching Enterprise as it aired. And I'm kind of Mm -hmm. curious if I go back to it now, will it work better for me since I'm liking seasons one and two less than I used to? At the same time, I can't make make myself want to actually go sit down and watch season three. I like season four, though, uh, either way. Well, season three is you you start to – I don't – like the whole kind of season long feel of it. The, the quality is a lot higher. The quality of the writing and everything is better. I don't find it as enjoyable, but it's better, you know, in the same way that we can like stuff that's crap. <laughs> this is kind of the same way, but season four was, was great. And I wish they would just continue with that. They finally fucking hit their stride with season four. Season three but, to me felt like the show abandoned what it was trying to do in the first place. 
Yes. Um, season four was trying to go back to that somewhat. And I think, yeah, when it was hitting it right, it was doing better than it was originally. At the same time, it was spending too much time trying to patch over, like, continuity issues. Yeah. Which, which, if it's done properly, I'm okay with that. You know, On the other hand, then we got These Are the Voyages. Uh, you know... That's when they really hit their stride. <laughs> That's when they really fell down the stairs. No, no, their husband Strode beat them. Strode off the pier. <laughs> now, don't blame those innocent stairs. It was their husband all along. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I don't know. If you ever feel like it, try season three again. It's not as good as four, but it's probably... Hopefully it will be better than uh, than you remember it. Well, we'll see what Mickey thinks when he gets there. Yeah, I'll yeah, let you know yeah. what to think. Because really, that's, that's what the <laughs> I always do. Thing is. <laughs> yeah, because the important is what Hey Mickey thinks about it. Well, yes, in Hey Mickey's world. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's Hey Mickey's world. We just live there. That's true. We just live in it. Well, XV, do you care about anyone's opinions about Star Trek other than your own? Well, nobody here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Scott? <laughs> what? I care very deeply about everyone's opinions about everything all the time. You fag. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you know that's not true. No, there's a few people I, I, I care. I, I care about your opinion. Uh, hey, Mickey. As well you should. Well, I do. Uh, if if Fortmax ever had one, I'd probably care about that. Uh, Fortmax holds next... opinions. It just you know takes a little bit for them to work their way out to the rest of us. I just... <laughs> That's it has to be good, a really a strongly held opinion to actually be expressed. Yeah. She's so. busy thinking about makeup. <laughs> Girls. <laughs> or yeah. what to do with her hair. <laughs> Math is hard. <laughs> oh my god. I shouldn't be allowed to vote. <laughs> <laughs> so glad she's off the call right now. <laughs> If only the episode was over, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Like I said, I was just acting. It's just a joke. She knows where you live, Scott. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so does everybody else, though, I think, at this point. <laughs> I think we've done everything but give up my address at this point. <laughs> Next week on that one episode of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs>